Coming up on episode 195 of Wheel Bearings, I'll be talking about my thoughts on the 2021 Ram 1500 TRX. Cole will share her thoughts on the Hyundai Sonata Hybrid. Robbie drives the Daimler EM2 and goes for a ride in the uh, Daimler E-Cascadia Semi, both electric. I have the announcement of a new Timberline sub-brand for Ford's SUVs. And Citroen comes back to the U.S. market for its free-to-move car-sharing program. All coming up next. Did you know you can support Wheel Bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. All right, welcome to episode 195 of Wheel Bearings. And uh, it seems that uh, Robbie is still sleeping late on the West Coast, so I'm not sure where he is. Hopefully he will join us at some point along here. But I'm Sam Abual Samad from Guidehouse Insights. And I am Nicole Wakelin. And this week, let's go with uh, Sports Car Market, because I just started writing a column oh, nice. for them. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. All right, so Nicole. Yes. What have you been driving this week? I have been driving the Hyundai Sonata Hybrid, uh, which I like. Okay, my favorite thing, two things about this that are going to seem like silly things, but it's really a sexy looking car. Like hybrids used to be kind of boring. They have really beautiful wheels on this car. Or or worse than boring. (laughs) Worse than boring. They were like, yeah, they were miserable cars a few years back. this one looks really good. Like it really does look like a good car. It was sitting next to an Audi at Home Depot yesterday. And from the back, I'm like, you know what? These both look pretty cool from the back. Um, and also inside, I have this pet peeve when there is no room to put anything on the center, like in the center console. Like you can put like not even a spot for you to toss the key. And I know that people have purses or whatever. I don't. I like carry my key in my wallet, my hands. I can't put anything down there. And as soon as you use the cup holder, that's the moment I go to get my Starbucks. And now I have to take out and I don't have anywhere to put things. I had like a cup holder and there's a little slot between the two. So you can put your phone in there. Then there's a spot in the front where you can stick your wallet and your key and whatever junk you have. I love the design of the inside of this car. So you can put your stuff somewhere. Well, I think if I recall correctly on the hybrid, there's also a space under the console as well, right? Yes, there's there is room galore in this car. And that was like the first thing I noticed because I sit down and also, you know, it's 2021. It's the time of covid. So I have a little tiny little bag that has masks in it. So if I forget a mask or my husband forgets a mask or my kids do, that just comes with me everywhere. It's the, it's the spares are there and it's not like I can leave them in the glove box because it's a press car. So I have to take it with me each week. That little little bag had a little spot to sit. So oh, that's nice. These seem like little silly, like not important things. But when you live with a car every day, they do start to grate on your nerves when they're not right. And yeah, well done, Hyundai. I like that. Well, I, I think, you know, this is one of the advantages that we've gotten from vehicles moving um, away from mechanical shift levers, you know, where where you have the shifter that's tied by a cable to the transmission to just a push button electronic system. Because now all of a sudden you just have that little that little push button array there and there's nothing underneath it. Right. And so all of a sudden that opens up all kinds of space to do other things around in and around the console. Yeah. But even if it's even if you have an actual 
shifter. Like people have stuff like you need to put your you need to put your keys somewhere. You need to put your wallet somewhere. I don't understand these that have like I don't have a huge phone. It's an average size phone. And I sometimes like I have nowhere to put it. So I'm like shoving in my pocket or then you open up the little storage thing. Even in there, I've had some cars just like literally I can't fit my phone in there. If I can't fit my phone in that center storage thing, you haven't done enough. It doesn't you know, it's like account for the fact that people have little things that they need to carry with them and give us a spot to put our little stuff. Because everybody needs a place for their stuff, as the late, great George Carlin would say. Yes, everybody needs a place for their stuff. And the Hyundai Sonata has a place for your stuff. That made me very happy. (laughs) (laughs) But And it's nice to drive. I enjoy driving it. I mean, it's, uh, you know, the first hybrid I ever drove was a Civic way, way back when it was like Civic or Prius were your only mm-hmm. choices. So um, I remember I always have that memory of what hybrids were back then. And it felt like you were driving like a lawnmower engine that would like like go right through the hood of the car at any moment. Um, I love that this, you don't really know you're driving a hybrid until suddenly you don't hear the engine. You know, that's, that's your only clue when it's, it's very quiet. You don't feel the transitions. You don't notice it, which I feel like is how it should be. You shouldn't always be aware when that engine turns on and off. Yeah. Well, one of the things uh, when Hyundai first introduced their original Sonata hybrid, uh, what, 2010, I think. Um, at, at that point, they were one of the first automakers to go to this kind of layout using a, a traditional step gear, step ratio transmission. You know, so it had a conventional six speed automatic paired with an electric motor and, and the engine, unlike uh, the, the Toyota hybrids and the Fords and the, the Hondas that had sort of an electronic CVT continuously variable thing where, you know, in those, like you talked about, you know, you get that buzzing from the engine because you you get on the accelerator, the engine revs up to its torque peak and then just sits there. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that, what they call a motor boating effect that is really kind of unpleasant to drive, you know, and even, even on a non-hybrid with a CVT, a lot of CVTs behave like that. It's it's just not very pleasant. It's why CVTs get a bad rap and rightly so, because they just, they just don't sound nice. Nobody wants to listen to that. And I I mean, they're better. They're, they're getting better. I mean, each iteration, each time an OEM comes out with a new one, it feels like they're a little bit better and they do a little bit more work to sort of dampen that sound. So even if it's doing that, you're not hearing it quite so much, you know, driving the car, riding inside of it. But, um, yeah, that's, that's never what you, you never want to, you never want to hear your engine in a way or working that you think, is something breaking? Am I doing, am I pushing on that accelerator too hard? Am I about to kill my car? And that's what they kind of sound like sometimes. I don't like that. So I appreciate that this just feels and sounds like driving a normal, you know, a a regular gas powertrain with, you know, you think just have a regular automatic transmission in there. You have no idea that there's any hybrid stuff happening there until you're aware of that, like the sudden silence, which is a nice silence. And it doesn't even have a particularly, it has the sound that it makes. We were talking about this before the show, like they have to make a sound under a certain speed so that you don't accidentally, you know, hit pedestrians. The idea being the pedestrians won't, won't hear you if the car makes absolutely no sound and they're more likely to step in front of your car by accident. Um, this one makes a sound that's I'm okay with the sound. It's okay. Some of them are annoying. I still haven't found anything as annoying as the internal beep that the Prius makes in reverse, which makes me want to like stab my eyes out. It's so annoying. <laughs> I don't understand that, but this one isn't bad. So 
Yeah, it's it's fairly subtle. It's you know, it's just enough that people outside the vehicle are going to hopefully notice it. Right. Um, you know, if you're trolling around a parking lot or something like that, and you know, somebody with low vision, um, you know, to alert them that you know, or or even actually even somebody that can see just to <laughs> alert them, you know, if they're not paying attention, you know, that there's there's a, a vehicle approaching uh, because you don't have the sound of the engine. What uh, what kind of fuel economy did you get out of this one? I looked yesterday and I've been driving, I'd say I've been driving mostly like city driving. I haven't been on the highway that much. And I think I was averaging somewhere around 44 and change. So not bad. I mean, I think that's pretty good. I forget. I'm trying to look at the official, what do they say? They say 47 combined is what the official mm-hmm. number is. And I think I was like 44, one, 44, two last time I looked. So I'm in the zone for that. So pretty close. So you're, you're slacking then, because I think uh, when I when I drove it last year, I got closer to 50. Oh, wait, 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 I got closer to 50. <laughs> I wasn't trying. I was just driving it like a normal person. I wasn't trying were... to hypermile. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, if you can if you can get 44 miles per gallon out of, you know, a pretty good size family sedan like that, um, you know, that also happens to have halfway decent performance. Yeah, that's you know, I th- I'd say that's fine you know and and the reality is you know if you you know as you go up in miles per gallon because of the way miles per gallon works out and you look at how much fuel you're actually saving every additional one mile per gallon you get you're reducing the total you're reducing the amount of fuel that you're saving so like when you go from 10 to 20 miles per gallon you're saving a lot more fuel than if you go from 30 to 40 or 40 to 50. And um, so the the difference in how much fuel you actually consume, how much you use over the course of a year um, with, you know, with a car that's getting 45, you know, if you're getting 44 or 45 miles per gallon versus 50, it's, it's inconsequential. I mean, right. you're talking, you know, probably less than, you know, $50, a year worth of fuel. Um, so it's, it, it's a, it's a very small saving. So it's, you know, if anything in the forties, you're, I think you're doing great. You're doing good. And, and it, I guess would be more important right now if you're driving a hybrid, because what I think it was yesterday, there was that hack of that one pipeline. I don't know if you saw mm-hmm. that news. So supposedly it supplies 40 something percent of the fuel to the East coast. And the pipeline was hacked and now everyone's panicking about fuel prices. So we'll see if next week we're going, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, we don't have gas prices are $10 a gallon. We'll see what happens. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, there, there's been, um, you know, some reports that, you know, we can expect to see higher fuel prices this summer as well, because, you know, more people are going to be traveling, you know, as they as they get vaccinated, you know, trying to get back to something resembling a normal life. Um, so, you know, having that extra fuel economy will, will definitely help. And, you know, down the road, you know, uh, if we, uh, if we start to see higher uh, fuel taxes or anything like that, you know, it never, it never hurts to have extra fuel economy. Exactly. It's a good thing. It puts money back in your pocket one way or the other, whether yeah. you drive a little or a lot, it does, it does add up over time. I think with two, you know, so many people have been home for the last year, you know, working at home, not even forget the vacations and stuff, just working at home. And you sort of gotten used to whatever your monthly gas bill is, is what it is right now. And when everyone goes back to work, it's going to be this shock. Oh gosh, I got to stop at the gas station more than once a month to put gas in my car. That's a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, in, in the one that you were driving, the, um, 
the the electric motor that's part of the powertrain isn't the only source of electricity into the battery. It is not. You, you had another feature on there. I did. I, we also have the solar roof on my Sonata Hybrid, which looks really snazzy. And it was funny. My husband looked at it and sort of did a double take like, what? Oh, cool. That's solar. My 17 year old looked at it and said, what's wrong with your roof? Like it just didn't <laughs> register at all that that's what she was looking at. Um, so, I mean, it's it's a cool thing. But I we were talking about this again. I don't know how much, you know, we're in. New Hampshire, where I get a modest amount of sun and it's not particularly strong in the month of May. So I don't know how much I'm actually getting in terms of improved fuel economy. But maybe if you lived in California where the sun was blazing hot almost every day of the year and you got full sun no matter where you parked. But that's not the case here. So I think it's kind of it's nifty, but I don't know how much it's helping. Yeah. According to Hyundai, um, if you know, if the car is parked you know, in direct sunlight, you know, with the sun shining on that roof, you can fully charge the hybrid battery in about six hours, which means, you know, that six hours will get you about a mile and a half of electric driving, you know, which is about what you get from a full charge. You know, if the battery is fully charged and you put it in EV mode, you know, you'll get about a mile and a half of driving, you know, because hybrids are not, you know, normal hybrids are not really designed for, you know, electric driving, except for very short distances at at lower speeds. Um, You know, it's designed to assist and recapture energy from your your braking and things like that. Um, But, you know, the thing is, you know, the roof of the car is not flat and solar panels are very subject to, you know, actually being angled towards the sun. You know, the the angle that the rays of the sun hit the panel have a huge effect on the efficiency of, you know, how much power it can generate. And when I had one, uh, I think, you know, I had it parked outside in the, in the sun for a full day. And I think it barely got like half of, half of a charge. Oh, really? And And the thing is, there's actually a little meter in the instrument cluster in the digital instrument cluster that shows you the, um, the, the charging power you're getting from the solar panel. There's like a little four bar gauge in there. And, you know, as you're driving down the road, you can actually see like, if, you know, if you're driving, like I live in a neighborhood where, you know, this, we've got lots of trees and, you know, drive under the shade of a tree, you can see it drop. You know, oh, cool. down to nothing and then come back <laughs> up again when you get in the sunlight when you're in yeah. sh- when you're out of the shadow. So, you know, it's really more of a gimmick uh, than anything that's going to get you any significant amount of of power for driving. But where where it actually um can be interesting and I can't remember if the if the Sonata can do this or not. I know previously in the past uh like Toyota has offered a solar panel on the roof and a couple of other manufacturers have offered rooftop solar panels that could be used just to, you know, to power the ventilation system in the car. So when you're parked out in the sun, you know, you can pop the sunroof open or, you know, or just, um, you know, just run the ventilation fan inside. To, so it doesn't get quite so hot inside the cabin of the car. You know, that could be useful. That would but, be cool. Yeah. But I don't think the Hyundai system can do that. Uh, you know, I'm going to be honest uh, and say I don't know. I don't think that it does, but yeah. don't quote me on that. I could be wrong on that. Um yeah, I don't see anything about that. And if it does, I didn't know that it did that. So there you go. Yeah. So, so, you know, solar roofs are, are cool, but not really that useful on a car. And it also means that if you get the solar roof, you can't get the sunroof. I know so. that's the thing. It's funny. I went to open because we've had some decent weather here and I 
when to open the sunroof that doesn't exist. I was like, oh, <laughs> it's finally sunny and there's no roof on this car that I can open. <laughs> so so how much was that uh, Sonata hybrid? Um, slightly chopped off of my form, $36,000 in change. So um, not bad. And that's for the Sonata Hybrid Limited. And I mean, it's got a lot of features. It's, it's, you feel like it's, you don't feel like there's anything missing on this. You know, you, you, you've got a nice, comfortable, well-equipped sedan. Um, so 36 and change. And for, what do we say? A combined 47 MPG. That's, you know, it's, it's a pretty good deal. Yeah. You can't complain about that. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, let's put it this way. I would rather drive around in that Sonata Hybrid than in a Prius. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I know. I feel like we're knocking Toyota. Sorry, Toyota. But yeah, I no, would. Well, you know, I mean, the, the, the current generation Prius actually drives really well. Yes. But it's really hard to look at. It's know. it's the style thing. And you know what? I feel like I, I'm going to say, I feel like there's like an attitude that comes with Prius. Like you drive a Sonata hybrid. You drive a Sonata hybrid. You happen to have bought a hybrid. No one. People might not even notice that you're driving a hybrid. It doesn't scream like I'm a hybrid. I'm green. I'm fuel efficient. Go me. You get into a Prius and it's like, oh, yeah, I care about the environment. So I'm buying a Prius. So I'm like, I feel like it's making a statement in a way. I'm for, like, <laughs> it's, it's vir- virtue signaling. I mean, it's that, virtue that signaling. Was for, for a long time, that was the thing, especially in California, where people were buying Priuses, you know, when the Prius was basically the only hybrid you could get. You know, a, a lot of people who were, you know, wanted to show their green credentials, you know, they would buy a Prius, you know, nowadays, you, you know, you go to California and, you know, Priuses are, are taxi cabs. Right. You know, and, uh, you know, the Tesla, Tesla Model 3s and Model S's are, you know, the not. I, mean, I think we're past the virtue signaling stage with yeah. those now. But, you know, the, the Prius is now the new Camry of, of California. It is. That's a good way to put it. No, the, we didn't buy. Or not not the Prius. I mean, the, the Tesla is the Camry yeah. of California. We didn't They're buy. A, the reason we had a Civic Hybrid back when they did that was because my husband at the time didn't want a Prius because he's like, I don't <laughs> I don't want that. Sig- I don't want that attitude. I'm not that guy. And I like, something well, that looks more normal. He's like, I want a normal looking car. And I'm like, oh, look at him. He got a Prius. He's like, no, 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 no. I just have a really long commute and I can't afford gas right now. That's it. <laughs> I had the opposite of the you Prius. did. We were, were we more like almost carbon neutral, not even close with what you were driving. <laughs> no, it was, it was, it was the anti-carbon neutral, the anti-carbon and, neutral. Yes. And, and this, you know, this vehicle kind of represents the, uh, along with one other and kind of represents, I, I think most likely the end of an era. So I had the Ram 1500 TRX crew cab four by four. So this is, this is the, you know, the Ram pickup with the Hellcat V8, the supercharged Hellcat V8. Um, and, you know, right now for the moment, at least this is the most powerful um, and fastest pickup that you can get anywhere. Full size pickup. Uh, at, you know, at least until the, the Hummer EV hits the road this fall. And, it has 702 horsepower from the supercharged 6.2 liter V8. It sounds amazing. I mean, for, for somebody, for anybody who's an automotive enthusiast, you know, who likes the sound of great engines. I mean, this thing sounds fantastic. You, you know, it's got that rumble and roar. It's definitely not something that <clears throat> you're going to sneak out of the neighborhood early in the morning. <laughs> definitely uh, not. It's not like, you know, like Ford on the, the Mustang a few years ago, they introduced a, uh, what they called their good neighbor mode you know, for the dual mode exhaust, you know, so there's a quiet mode for the exhaust. So right. as you're pulling out of your driveway in the morning, or if you're coming in late, you know, you can 
pop it into quiet mode and it doesn't make quite so much noise. Not on this thing. There's, there's, there's nothing, <laughs> absolutely nothing, nothing toned down about this truck. So this is this, you know, the TRX is, is, uh, Stellantis's response to the F-150 Raptor. Um, but then, you know, turned up to 13. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the current, the previous generation Raptor and the initial versions of the new one that are not on sale yet, they should, they should be hitting dealerships sometime this spring use Ford's 4.5 liter eco or 3.5 liter eco boost V6, uh, you know, with about 450 horsepower, the you know the TRX as I said over seven hundred horsepower. Um, it's got these Bilstein remote reservoir um, dampers on it. It's lifted up. It's got great big tires on it. Um, it's got you know the the full full boat solution. You know for off roading, uh, four wheel drive low mode. Uh, you know prop, you know real four wheel drive system. Uh, it had the optional twelve inch Uconnect infotainment system. I love that. And I, you know, driving this thing, uh, it's been a couple of years since I drove a Raptor, <laughs> but the thing I remembered about the, the previous generation Raptor, and I haven't driven the new one yet, but the previous generation Raptor always felt really soft in the suspension. You know, it's got a lot of wheel travel, you know, it's designed for high speed off-road running, but when you're driving it on the street, it just felt kind of soft and sloppy and you know uh, the you know when you're going around a corner you could feel the body roll and if you hit the brakes you feel it diving and it just never felt very confident to me you know this thing um this has got the same kind of vehicle dynamics and you know body control wheel control that i experienced with the um uh, the wrangler um or the sorry the gladiator the gladiator mojave you know, which was their, their first desert rated model. The TRX is not, doesn't technically have the desert rating that Jeep, Jeep is planning to add to others, but it's got that same kind of feel. It's really well controlled. Uh, you know, it's, it's still comfortable. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't pound you as you're driving on the street, you know, hitting potholes and things like that. But I took it out, you know, onto some, some back roads, uh, near me here, you know, some bumpy dirt roads. I didn't have a chance to do any real off-roading with it, but, um, you know, going on the, you know, on bumpy dirt roads, you know, where we'd had some heavy rain and, you know, so it was some pretty good potholes. Yeah. I did a few launches on there, um, zero to 60. And with, uh, without launch control in 3.7 seconds with launch control turned on 3.4 seconds, <laughs> this is on, on gravel. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, this, is, and this, this thing weighs three tons. It's a 6,000 pound truck empty. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, uh, because it's designed for off-roading, it's got running boards that, are tucked right up against the body. <clears throat> so they're, they're really almost useless because, you know, they don't stick down for you. you, you it's, it's a high step up into the cab of this thing. <laughs> so you're people reaching, will not like it. <laughs> yeah. Re Rebecca would not have a good time with She's this. She's just going to dangle from the steering yeah. wheel as she tries to pull herself up. <laughs> yeah. Well, fortunately, I mean, there, there, there are, um, grab handles on both eight pillars on the driver's side and the passenger side. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a pretty good step up into this thing. Uh, but it, I mean, it drives great, which is 
characteristic of the, the Ram 1500. You know, ever, ever since the previous generation when they launched it with coil springs, it's had the best driving dynamics of any pickup truck. Yeah. Um, so and- I, I had a chance to drive this too when they launched it back in October. I want to say it was late October of last year. They did a drive program and they had us take it off road. They had us on some twisties. It was sort of like in a mountainy area. We're somewhere in California. I can't even remember where now. Um, but I agree with you about the on-road handling. That is a big off-road truck. It is nothing petite or small about it, but it handled really well. We're on a highway where the speed limit's a good like 55 miles an hour, but those big swooping you know, curves you get as you're going along on a mountain and it's very controlled. You feel it's surprisingly controlled. And then they had us take it on a dirt track where we really got to push it and catch some air in it. And honestly, the thing that was funny, you know, they had someone in the right seat. It's not like you were driving this on your own. And as you, you know, hit certain speeds, like when you at least hit this much so that you catch some air when you come down the other side, you don't even feel it. And like, I'm watching these guys and I'm saying like, it, was I like much lower than that? I was like, no, that's about what you were doing the same thing. And I'm watching how high they are and how they're coming down. I'm like, really? Because it didn't feel that way on the inside and the inside, you're kind of like, Oh, like it's so yeah. controlled and it's so smooth, but I'm watching him from the outside. Like, Oh my gosh, bam. You don't feel that on the inside at all. So it was, it was a joy to drive that. It was really fun. It was, it was, uh, it was nice to be able to have a, a situation where you could like, I'm not going to do that on my own with a press car, <laughs> take it yeah. off road and jump it like, no. But if Ram says, Hey, we have this track, we're going to put a guy in this car with you. We're going to let you push this. And we're going to make sure that you know what you're doing and you're in, you know, an environment where it's, it's okay for the truck. It's okay for you. All that'll work. And it's like, okay, I'll do it. And it, I'm not, I'm not someone who does that every day. And it was so easy to do and so comfortable and just a redonkulous amount of fun. Like I really enjoyed it. And what you were saying about the sound of that, yeah, I'd wake up all the neighbors and I wouldn't care because it just sounds so good. I'd be like, hey, guys, look what I got. Vroom, vroom, vroom. <laughs> yeah, with the five inch uh, tailpipes on the back there, you know, it's it's nuts, you know, and there there is no logical reason for anybody to buy this thing. No, absolutely yeah. not. It's you know, it's 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 ridiculous. Uh, but, you know, it's a completely to, like stupid, unnecessary, yeah. over the top truck. And I love it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we, you know, we were talking about fuel economy with the, the Sonata hybrid. Um, <laughs> so it matched the Sonata, right? It like did better. Yeah. Way better. Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I barely got 10 miles per gallon average. But worth, if you were, it's, if you it's were EPA rated at 12 combined, I, I barely got 10. So you got 10. So worth it to, to have one. Oh my gosh. That's one like a third, less than a third of the gas miles just snub but worth it for the fun of driving it? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's got a 33 gallon gas tank in it. So, I mean, you know, it's not like you're going to be, you know, filling it up every five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that helps. But um, yeah, I mean, if, if, if you actually, you know, want something, you know, to go off-roading in, you know, and if you're, if you're going off-roading, I mean, if you're going rock crawling in, you know, in tight, canyons and trails and so on you know this thing probably isn't the best choice because yeah. it is so big it's just you know big. it's, it's yeah. just like five inches wider than a standard ram because it, you've got those big bulging fenders it's got a wider track but you know if there's enough 
room to fit this thing. You can go pretty much anywhere. I mean, it, it's got skid plates galore yeah. you know, covering all the important bits on the bottom, big steel skid plates, which is why it weighs 6,000 pounds empty. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and a heavy duty frame and every, you know, a reinforced frame. Uh, and on those big tires, you've got lots of ground clearance, um, you know, the, you know, lots of, you know, high approach and departure angles. So that's not a problem. But, you know, if you want to get into the tight stuff, you know, something the size of a Wrangler is actually probably a much better choice. Yeah. But, you know, if you're, you know, if you wanted to like go to, you know, race in the Baja 1000, you know, this wouldn't be a terrible choice. Yeah. Uh, you know, it could probably handle that with, you know, just add a roll cage and, and you'd be fine. You know, and, but, yeah, but uh, the si- you're right on the size because they did have what they had us do was highway driving the track. And then they had one very small like bit where we're just climbing up a rocky, yeah. you know, slope and they had some spotters there, a little left, little right, you know, had a sc- and they were sort of loose, large rocks. Um, and it handled it no problem, but it was this giant swath of rocks. You know, it's, it's, there's nothing on either side that was going to take part of your car with it. You know, you, you need a big space. And even some of the tight turns as you're going through, it's like, that would not be tight in a smaller vehicle in this. You kind of think, okay, they said it can make it through here. So I'm going to believe them. You know, it, it feels it had, power, it had power folding mirrors. So, I mean, you can I at least tuck the mirrors, those in. Yeah. Tuck those yeah. in, but you know, the rest For, of the truck, but eh. <laughs> fortunately this, you know, the one I had also had the, uh, the digital camera mirror inside, mm-hmm. which is great because now I could actually see behind me because again, when you're up so high, you can't, you know, anything 20 within 20 feet behind you, you're not going to see it. Right. You know, at least, you know, maybe, maybe farther back. So the, the, the camera mirror system, you know, is great for being able to see what's behind you. There's also, you can also turn on at lower at speeds below 20 miles an hour. You can turn on the front camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can, you know, help get a little help maneuvering around. Um, you know, it's not quite like what GM's promising for the Hummer EV, where I think it's going to have something like 18 cameras available, so you can see everything underneath and around. And I can't wait to see what that image looks like on the infotainment screen. Like, how are they getting all of those cameras (laughs) (laughs) to show you one cohesive image? Like, how I don't know how that's going to work, but it'll be cool to see. But uh, you know, as I said, you know this this truck, you know, it starts at seventy thousand dollars. You know, sixty nine nine ninety five, and it's. $1,700 $1,700 delivery charge. Uh, this is something we talked about previously is FCA or Stellantis's delivery charge now is up to $1,700 on, on the trucks and SUVs. Um, so, I mean, really that should be bundled into the, the base price. So you're really looking at a minimum of, you know, 70, almost $73,000. Uh, so it's $72,000 for this thing. It is not a cheap toy, but it is a fun no. toy. And the one I had, you know, with the various options on here came to 87,370 total. Uh, so 87 that, plus the 1700, then still on top of that. So you're looking at almost that, that includes that includes that the includes 1700. So, so all, still, all in 87. Uh, and that included the eight, almost $8,000 TRX level two equipment group and a bunch of other options. So, you know, the one thing about, you know, the, the Ram crew cabs is the, the cab is huge. If you're if you're relegated to the back seat, I mean, it's like riding in a limousine. Yeah, there's, it is there's huge. A ton of legroom back there. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether you want to fold it up and put stuff in there and lock it away, or um, you know if you're just going to have passengers back there, you've got lots of room to work with. Ram doesn't offer you know some of the cool, neat features that are on the new F one hundred and fifty, like the the pop up and lockable. Um, 
cargo area underneath the second row seat mm-hmm. um, that, that you have there. Um, but you know, it does, it does still offer a lot of, a lot of neat things because of the, the wide fenders on the TRX, you can't get the Ram box option on this, which is one of those unique features that Ram has had for more than a decade now. Uh, but nobody else has offered it, uh, which is nice. You know, if you're, if you're actually using your truck for trucky type things, you know, you have that, those Ram boxes on the side of the bed that you can put tools and stuff into. Uh, the storage you can't get thing. that on the TRX. Like I was talking yeah, about the center exactly. console, a, the a Sonata. Pla- a, it's the a place for your stuff, a place for your stuff. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I mean, this thing is really, um, you know, really comfortable to drive stupid fast, stupid loud. Um, you know, it, it does have, you know, because of the, um, the high ride height, uh, the, um, towing capability is reduced, you know, so you only have 8,100 pound towing capability, only 8,100 pounds. Only 81. <laughs> um, you know, if you, if you need the maximum towing, you know, 12 and a half thousand pounds towing, you need to go for one of the regular Rams. Um, but you know, 8,100 is, enough for most people. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, as I was saying, you know, this is kind of like the end of an era, uh, you know, the, they'll probably build these for a couple of years. Um, and then, you know, it'll probably go away. The Durango Hellcat that, oh. uh, that is actually in my driveway right now. That's oh, only nice. a, that's a one year only thing. So I actually, at one point on Tuesday, I actually had 1400 horsepower. I saw that picture you put up all the horsepower in your driveway. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I actually, I had a conversation earlier this week. There's an article in the Detroit news about, you know, kind of where Dodge, you know, Ram goes from here because Dodge, you know, the Dodge brand in particular has become, you know, a muscle car brand for Stellantis, you know, over the last few years, you know, they've, they've pared it down. Basically now you just have the Durango, the Challenger and the Charger mm-hmm. and all of them are available with big V8s and Hellcats. And, you know, we talked about, you know, where, where does it go from, where the, where's that brand go from here? And really, you know, I think it's what you saw on the, the Wrangler four by E, you know, going electrified, adding, uh, you know, probably, you know, we'll probably see at least a hybrid version of you know these future trucks yeah and and cars and, and suvs and you know probably a plug-in hybrid you know because you can get enough extra power out of there that you know probably not with with the supercharger but you know maybe with the the new inline six twin turbo inline six that uh Solantis has been working on uh with a plug-in hybrid i mean you know you're gonna get you know probably pretty close to the same kind of performance as you get out of this thing um, but and the then, sound, I like this. Yeah, I know you're, you're, not, you're gonna think, lose that. Are we getting at a point where now, when those of us like, well, if you, like, if you if you do the V8 with a hybrid, yeah, you, you can still have the V8. That's true. Me, the V8 sound. Yeah. Yeah, and then you know when you go off road, you just, you know switch it off and you know go nice and quiet, just like with the Wrangler Four by E. Yeah, and I think we're in addition to this one. You know, Ford is going to be doing a Raptor R version of the new Raptor. Which rumor has it? You know, there's no confirmation yet from Ford. Rumor has it that it, it's going to have the the 760 horsepower supercharged V8 from the uh, uh, from the GT500 in there. Ooh. So these two are, I think, are the last that we're likely to see like this. And everything else after this is going to be electric. You know, the Hummer. Uh, you know, I I, you know, I, I, I get horsepower. it, and I t- I think you're probably right. I mean, it probably is the end. I don't want it to be the end, though. I, I just like the. I know gas guzzling 
trucks, terrible, killing the environment, pandas are dying because of it, whatever. But I, I just, I like the, the feel and the sound and the visceral experience of it. And I'll be sad when that sort of goes away. I know the performance can still eventually, the performance can be duplicated, but the feel it's, of it. It's not, it's not the same kind of experience. It's not the same kind of experience. And maybe it's like, it's going to make us all old parts as that happens. Like I remember when I was a kid in the V8s and blah, blah, blah. But I, I like that experience. It's like manuals slowly disappearing. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, there was a time when everyone knew how to drive a manual and there was a certain experience of driving a manual transmission where you got to do the footwork and you got to shift the gears with your hands and as opposed to paddle shifters or whatever, Um, there's a certain experience you lose. And I feel it's, it's kind of the same way. Eh. Yeah, I I remember back in early 2008 when I did the first drive of the Tesla Roadster for Autoblog, and it was the same same kind of thing. You know, driving this thing in Northern California up along Skyline Drive, you know, near uh, near Silicon Valley. You know, it was, this was an amazing sports car. You know, fantastic handling. You know, it was it was like driving. You know, I mean, because it was derived from the Lotus Elise platform, mm-hmm. and you know, you had a lot of similarity in the way it felt and it was really fast, but you know, without the sound, it was, it was such a different experience. And, right. You know, you lo- you do lose that visceral component, but you know, it is what it is. We gotta, we gotta evolve. We, we gotta, gotta keep move on. Forward. Yes. It's, I guess it's, it's what's coming. And it's, it's not that I dislike the, the way EVs drive. I mean, they're, it's, they're a great experience, but they're different. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just, Glancing at them over at the Monroney here for the, the TRX. Um, yeah, it, it says uh, you, uh, on there, you know, they ha- they have the comparison against uh, average vehicles for fuel, fuel consumption or fuel. Oh, cost. God, how bad is it? <laughs> you, you spend twelve thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars more in fuel costs over five years. Only twelve thousand dollars. They have, they have the, little, the little ratings there for fuel economy and greenhouse gases. Yeah. Uh, one to ten rating. For you know, for that. Oh God. One out of ten. Oh no, is it really? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll say just to and give you the your... smog rating is is also one out of ten. So here's your comparison to the Sonata Hybrid. So you save three thousand two hundred and fifty dollars if you buy this. Uh, the smog rating is a seven on a one to ten, and my fuel economy in greenhouse gases is a nine. <sighs> I am entirely. We are we are opposing vehicles this week. <laughs> on, on the other hand, you know. I could park the TRX right on top of that Sonata and not even notice. No, it's high enough. You might be able to park over the Sonata. Like, would it just clip the top of that solar roof? (laughs) Uh, Almost. (laughs) Might scratch it up a bit. Just scratch it a little bit. That's it. A little skid plates uh, right on top of there. That's all. (laughs) Yeah. Sticking this in here in the middle of the show, because uh, unfortunately, Robbie was not feeling well last night and didn't set his alarm this morning for recording. So we're doing this after the fact, after Nicole and I recorded the rest of the show. But (laughs) Robbie's here now to share with us stuff that he drove and rode in this week uh, for the garage. And what did you drive? You, You had something a little bit different. Well, I'm surprised I drove anything because clearly I can't, uh, uh, participate in adult in adult life because I don't know how to set an alarm clock. <laughs> <laughs> alarm um, clocks I are overrated. I mean, you alarm clocks are, should, that I do have enough. a dog. I do have a dog. I have a cat who wakes me up. I have another cat who wakes me up. I have a lot of animals that wake me up. Um, I also have allergies that knock me out. So the allergies <laughs> won today. Um, but, but, but yeah. Um, so I drove a couple things this week. I, I drove the Acura MDX, which uh, y- y'all have already talked about. So I'm not even going to, 
dwell into that. I drove the Acura Type TLX Type S, which I'm actually not allowed to talk about yet. So I can't talk about that. So two Acuras, one we've already talked about, one I can't talk about, and then something completely different, the Daimler EM2, which is if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're scrambling to try to figure out, out what the hell I'm talking about. It's not an E-Class. It's not an E-Class. It's not an M-Class. It's not an M-Class. Um, it is a panel truck. It is an electric panel truck. Um, while uh, Nikola and Tesla have been talking about making these giant electric trucks they're going to put on the road, uh, Daimler's been doing it. You know, they've been, they've been working on their EM2 and their E-Cascadia. Both of them are Freightliners. Uh, Daimler owns Freightliner, if you weren't aware. Daimler owns a lot of the large a bunch trucks. Of different brands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you would be surprised how much uh, Daimler and Volvo own in the trucking world um or volvo trucks volvo and volvo yeah. trucks are two completely Vol- separate volvo companies. group which volvo is different group. from volvo cars group yes it's a whole yeah it's it's is it confusing yes does it make them a lot of money probably <laughs> um so the uh i i rode in the e cascadia which is the giant semi and uh it has um 360 to 525 horsepower and has a range of about 250 miles from a battery pack capacity of up to 475 kilowatt hours. Now, if you're thinking, well, they're never going to be able to drive from LA to New York and that that's not what this truck is for. It's essentially for getting things from the port to a warehouse, usually in an, a, uh, an environment that is urban. So uh, think, New York, think Los Angeles, especially Long Beach, Pedro area, think uh, Oakland, think San Francisco, Florida, anywhere where there's a port and you have to move large amounts of stuff from the port to a warehouse where then it gets sort of spread out out either nationally or locally. And for additional local driving, they have the EM2 and that's what I got to drive. Um, I don't have a class eight uh, commercial driver's license. So they didn't let me drive the semi and I kind of didn't want to because it had the big trailer on it. And I'm sure I would have taken out <laughs> half of Oakland with it, <laughs> but I did get to drive the EM two, which is a class six, seven, essentially like one of those big panel trucks you see driving around. Yeah. And, um, like the stuff was, when, when you, when you order appliances or furniture, it's, it's the kind of truck that'll be delivering that stuff or, exactly. or a moving van. Exactly. Yeah. Like a large moving van. Or yeah, like you said, appliances or furniture, because typically they're 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 delivering a couple things at once. It's a uh, larger than your typical U-Haul, but not as large as a semi, if that if that helps. Um, so I drove that, and it was a very um, it was a it was a weird experience because if you've ever driven or been in a large tr- panel truck like this, you know that you know they're diesel, so they're loud. They have that diesel sound. They have a lot of torque. And it's funny, whenever you're in one of those vehicles and when you're about to go, you can feel a sort of torque shift. It sort of, it sort of twists the entire body of the vehicle before it goes and you get that little lurch. It's like, yeah. it, didn't, it didn't have any of that because it doesn't have a drive shaft. It doesn't have, you know. Mo- is the motor mounted at the, at the axle, at the rear axle? Yeah, the motor's mounted at the rear axle. So it's, it just goes and it's yeah. quiet and it's smooth and it's very... Um, and, and while I'm driving it, I'm pulling up to, because, you know, we were down by the airport while I'm driving this vehicle, we're pulling up to other, uh, semis, other class six, seven trucks, and they all have diesel engines. And there's like, clack, 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 clack. you know, they have that, that diesel sound. 
and you can see, you know, as they go, you know, the, the cab shifts, everything, you know, everything you, you anticipate from a very large truck going forward. And then you're in this and it's quiet and you're just kind of cruising. And it is, it is so weird. And the, um, the regenerative braking, they have 10 different, uh, settings. And so you you're, you're, you're uh, they, they, they want you to be able to, to adjust it on the fly. So right now the, the cab is they're They're redoing the cab. So the car, the vehicles I drove are prototypes they're using to show off to potential uh, clients, people who are going to buy these. Um, and then 2022, when they hit the road, they're also getting a cab redesign. Um, but the uh, sort of the push button um, shifter, it had a, a, you know, up and down and you could adjust the amount of regenerative braking so you can set it up all the way up to 90 if you're going downhill you can set it down to like you know 20 if you just you know or 10 or zero and just cruise it was it was pretty great and they were like yeah if you're going downhill if you just if you only have a few um choices of regenerative braking you might not be going fast enough you know you might you, right. you know if, if we've all you know dri driven down here you have regenerative braking you kind of have to like feather the uh, the accelerator in order to to keep up with traffic with this you can adjust you're like well there's too much braking let me adjust a little bit. So you and, get, oh, there you get we more, go. More granularity in that in that control. Yeah, they're they're getting more granularity in that control. Um, it's you know it's it, it was it was pretty um, it was pretty cool. <laughs> is what it was. First of all, it's automatically cool to drive a big truck. Yeah. I don't care who you are. You're driving this big giant truck. You 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 sort of wish that you you know. And in, in, in my if you're uh, of a certain age. Um, like me, um, the first thing that pops in your head is the song Convoy. Uh -huh. uh, for those who don't know, for yeah. those of the foes you don't know that, go look it up on YouTube. Uh, make sure you look up Convoy and not Convoy 2. Convoy 2 is a horrible song. Convoy 1 is a little bit better. Um, <laughs> but in the late 70s, early 80s, it was sort of the, becoming a trucker was sort of a thing. Um, and so, you know, when you wrote from that, it's, it's pretty great. Um, so, yeah, so it has, they're, they're saying it's, it's on the 400 uh volt architecture instead of like an eight or 900 which i'm still you know mercedes is the same way they're not you know they're still in this four, 400 volt architecture but they said it'll charge in 80 percent in about 90 minutes um they can get us and uh wait i'm sorry 80 percent in 60 minutes the e cascadia is 80 percent in 90 minutes um it has a, a battery uh capacity of up to 315 kilowatt hours the battery sits right under the cab um it has a range of 230 miles um, it has 180 to 300 horsepower, um, but it has all this torque, of course, and they didn't give me any torque numbers because, you know, it's, it's a prototype and yeah. there's probably going to be a little bit of a few changes here and there, uh, especially, you know, the cab is going to be completely redesigned. Um, but for the most part, um, if you live in a city, you know that there are a lot of trucks that are driving around constantly delivering things here and there. Um, they sort of become part of the, the background. But they also are part of, you know, the pollution that's being, you know, spewed into the air where you live and, you know, Daimler, Volvo and, and to a lesser extent, uh, uh, Tesla and Nikola, just because we have no idea what's going on over there. Um, you know, they, they are they are working towards sort of eliminating, um, you know, a pretty, a, especially in cities, a pretty large amount of of, uh, of CO2 that's being released into the air. And especially now, because we have become so used to having things delivered to our home, like things have to show up to those Amazon work uh, warehouses somehow. And that involves, you know, big giant trucks you know, delivering them from ports, 
yeah. to, to warehouses. So you take the Cascadia from the port or from the airport where the you know the 747 freighters are landing. Yeah, take that to the to the warehouse, and then from there it goes on to the smaller vehicles. Yeah, and so yeah, it's 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 um, it was it was uh, I I've driven I drove the uh, the Mitsubishi Fusho, which uh, a few years ago, which is a smaller sort of panel truck. Uh, which is also owned by Daimler. I know it's a, it's it's very yeah. <laughs> it's all very confusing. There's, there's uh, been a lot of consolidation in the truck business. Uh, like, yeah, and and VW Group also has a, a truck group as well um, called uh, which they spun off or they separated last year as Trayton, uh, which in in Europe it has the Scania and MAN brands, but uh, here in North America they they just bought Navistar. So they're also working on electric trucks. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting how much of the trucking business is owned by people you didn't realize. And you know, it's it. I I don't, I don't know if it's it's just a you know people are used to the word you know they're used to Freightliner, they're used to Mac, they're used to you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you have those those names that have a ton of history behind them, you know, when you buy them, you just sort of back off and let them do what they they need to do um you know in the trucking industry you don't you you don't just buy a truck every truck is typically uh custom built um initially these won't have as much customization as a um a diesel truck just because you know they're they're spinning up you know the, the the production of them so they won't have nearly as much customization but they will get there at some point um so if you have a very and every you know, driver has some, or fleet manager has some sort of special need for their truck. So as long as what you need is uh, available in these trucks and there's a ton of, you know, just like your, your, your uh, passenger EVs, there are a ton of federal incentives that sort of bring the, the price down. Um, you know, it seems like there might be a, a little bit above parity. You know, it won't be, it probably won't be parity, but there'll be a little bit more. But when you look at the long run, and that's what fleet um, fleet managers and and these fleet and these trucking companies do, is they're looking long term. They're thinking they're about at the operating air. costs too. Yeah, yeah exactly. So You're talking about and maintenance fuel. and service and and oil changes and all this stuff. And you know, you still there's still a lot of services you have to do on these trucks, but not nearly as much as you would on a diesel vehicle. So it's you know it, it'll be interesting next year to see how well these sell, how many end up in the market. And, uh, and, and again, driving, it was, it, 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 I mean, if I could drive it, it's <laughs> so are, are they going to also offer the EM two uh, like, you know, the, I think that's the one you drove and the one they the ones they've shown are, you know, the box trucks, but yes. uh, that same chassis, I think that they, and the convent, the diesel versions, they sell that for things like uh, trash trucks and, and other applications too, dump trucks, flatbeds. Are they going to offer the electric version? for those other use cases as well? They wouldn't get too deep into what the uh, customization was available for the, for each vehicle. But I think as, you know, I think they're, the goal is to get to that um, because a trash truck just stops and goes all day. You really yeah. don't, you know, it's, it's, it's not exactly, you don't need, you probably don't need more than a hundred, you know, miles. Yeah, so it'd probably be range. a smaller, smaller battery version for yeah. that. But. Yeah. So you save money, you know, you have that. So, you know, it, they are, they are, they are talking about, Sorry, my dog is barking in the back. That's okay. <laughs> you know, they they are they they want to be able to offer the customization throughout the entire line, but 
they said that it's just going to be less initially and then more later on. So we'll, we'll see. I think that they, um, that, that in the long run and maybe even within a year or so, they'll probably, you know, again, if it sells well, um, then they're, and they're going to be selling them and you know, they're going to be manufacturing them in, in, in Oregon on the same plant they're, they're building the other trucks. So it's not like they have to build a special, um, you know, they have to adjust the line, but they're going to be building them on the exact same line. So okay. it's, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty smart because, you know, building an entire facility just to make these trucks, especially at the beginning where, you yeah. know, maybe they sell a couple hundred versus the thousands upon thousands they're selling. Um, it seems seems a little insane, but it's you know they're 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 easing into it, but they are you know they're they're out there they're selling them they're you know I've, I met the team that's that's selling them there's like they got people showing up they have whole days they went to they were here in Oakland they were going to Fresno they're just going cross country demonstrating them to fleets and, and so yeah on. yeah demonstrating to fleets have fleet managers and trucking company owners and, and whatnot just come and drive the trucks and and let them uh if they i did find out if they drive if they drive that if they have the cdl uh commercial driver's license and they drive the e-cascadia they do take the trailer off so they let them drive okay the <laughs> so uh what was the the cascadia like it was sort of the same thing it was it was you know just you're sitting just a little bigger and you can adjust the um the regenerative braking via a stock on the yeah. strain wheel and so you can sort of push it forward, push it back, push it. And so you, you can adjust it on the fly. And yeah. I, they were, they were talking about how one of the things they, they have to sort of teach the drivers is that they can do this. This is something that they can do to, to save, to increase range and save energy, et cetera. And, and, and in the long run, save money for their, for their, uh, their overlords and their bosses. Um, but it didn't less have wear like, on the brakes. Yeah. Less wear on the brakes. I mean, it, it's, it was, uh, but again, you, you know, you're sitting in this big truck and you're, you're parked next to uh, another freight liner or, you know, some other truck. And it's making, you know, ca -ca 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 -ca, you yeah. know, it's making that giant loud diesel noise. That if, you know, if you're driving down the freeway, you're going to be at some point, you're going to be parked next to a, a semi truck and they're, they're not quiet. You know, sometimes when they take off, the little puff of smoke comes out of the top, even though they're not supposed to at this point. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, they have the, the you know, you have to deal with engine brakes, which are very loud after 2007. You know, they after, before after or, I'm sorry, prior to 2007, the engine brakes were very loud. They had to, like, figure out a way to make those quiet. So if you live anywhere near a an, uh, a freeway, um, you know that that is, you know, you know that noise. Yep. <laughs> that is that is the truck stopping and with generate with the regenerative braking, it, you don't. You won't, that won't happen anymore. So you, you don't, you don't have this, this sort of loud, annoying, uh, vehicle, like sort of barreling through your neighborhood. If you live in an urban area, um, you know, and it, it's, it's, it, you know, it's less noise, uh, less pollution. And I still get my socks that I ordered from Amazon. That's kind of the, that's all, that's all you need. <laughs> that's, all, that's all we want. All we want is a we better world stuff. And we, all we want is a better world, but also our stuff. And, you know, these, these, these two trucks, it looks like that they're, you know, Daimler has a huge reach in the trucking industry. So I think they have a, a lot more pull than, than, than some of the automotive startups that are out there. Yeah. And, and Daimler trucks also owns Thomas built the, I think the, I think they're the biggest manufacturer of school buses in North yeah. America. And they're, they're launching electric versions of those too, which I assume are going to use the same, the same hardware probably across the, the Thomas built buses as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they're going to have the same hardware. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's interesting because they don't really when I, cause I asked about talking with the, um, with the passenger division, with the Mercedes, with Mercedes Benz and, um, 
they were like, well, we, I mean, we kind of talked, but not really. There's just not, you know, the, the difference between the engine, I'm sorry, but the, the motor in, you know, an EQS versus the difference in the motor in, you know, the, the E Cascadia is, you know, that, that motor that they, that I saw was huge. It was just, it was like, yeah. like half the size of a beetle. That's, that's the, <laughs> it's just this giant electric, you know, beast. It just, and, and on the East Cat, E Cascadia, you can get a single or tandem axle. And it's just, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty insane. And yeah. it's, 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 it's one of those things people don't really think about when they think about the electrification of transportation is all the other cars that aren't passenger vehicles and all the other vehicles that are sort of, um, you know, making the, you know, the, you know, uh, creating smog, uh, creating noise, creating this, creating that. Um, because again, you, cause you kind of, they're so big and they're so part of the background and you just sort of shoot past them when you're driving that I think people sort of ignore the fact that, until they get stuck behind one, then they're just like, ah, why aren't yeah. there special? Why aren't there special roads for these people or for these trucks? And they're like, yeah, they're called trains and, and boats. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. at some point, at some point, they have to get to uh, from here to there. Um, so yeah, so it, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was really fun, just because every, anytime you get to drive hey, a giant, it's, truck, it's always, it's always fun to be in a big truck. It is. It is really fun to be in a big truck. It's like being a little um, kid again. Yeah. And I think the fatigue issue, some of the fatigue issues that you have um, the drivers have with being a big truck because of the noise and the vibration, like that is severely reduced. All you hear is the whine. So that's good for the drivers. Um, if it, you know, if it, if it reduces maintenance costs, that's good for the fleet. And if it reduces all the other things, you know, the, the, the sort of uh, environmental uh, issues, it's good for us. So it's yeah. sort of a win, win, win. And then I'll just keep saying win for five minutes um, if it all works out. Um, I'm sure there'll always be people who are like, you know, when I was, you know, convoy, rumber ducky, you know, when they <laughs> long, long distances that, you know, I think that's where hydrogen comes in. That's where, you know, the hydrogen yeah. fuel cells uh, really work. Um, what Nikola is working on. Um, Daimler's Toyota, working on that too. Yeah. Daimler's working on, Toyota's been working on, yeah. Toyota's been working on, on, on hydrogen trucks forever. They have a whole system set that set up down in, um, in Pedro in Long Beach area. Yep. So, you know, it's, 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 you know, uh, uh certain tasks or certain tasks for certain uh, powertrains. So it's, it looks like, you know, a couple of years, you're probably going to, you know, next year, we're going to probably start seeing these Daimlers on the road. Uh, I think in three or four years, we're going to see, we're gonna be seeing a lot more electrified vehicles on the road, whether they're battery powered or hydrogen fuel cell powered. Yeah, that's, and I think, you know, as you said, that's going to make a big difference, especially in cities, you know, where these trucks are doing deliveries and so on, you know, they're, they tend to be the biggest polluters and, uh, you know, so it's it's going to make a huge difference in in quality of life, both air quality and and noise levels in in cities and and suburban areas too. Yeah, yeah. The you know the 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 trucking companies and the fleet managers they you know, they'll hold on to us something forever, and mm -hmm. so you know they'll just swap out the cab and throw it on top of an old motor or an old engine, old chassis, and so you you know it's it's going to be a little while because you know they're 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 every penny counts for them. But I think, you know, as the transition happens, eventually, you know, the trucks become more of a uh, liability than they're worth. And then when that happens and they start looking at, okay, what's next? What's going to save me money in the long run? And for some of those, you know, some of those, especially the smaller ones, they're probably going to wait three or four years before they, you know, look into EVs or hydrogens. But some of the bigger companies where you're dealing with, you know, thousands and thousands of trucks every day, you know, they, if you can, if 10% of them, are going to save you, you know, an additional 10% of your, 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 uh, 
your your output in cash, then you're going to be pretty happy. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thanks so much, Robbie. And um, we'll get this spliced in and going to cut back now to Nicole and I talking about uh, the, the Ford Explorer Timberline. Did you have any comments on the Timberline? I, I, I don't have any comments on the Timberline. I think it's uh, the, the, the sort of... Yeah, okay. I, I guess I maybe I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's hear it. <laughs> it's just I, the the um, building the off road capable anything that's based on just a regular SUV and a regular SUV now is a passenger vehicle. It's a it's a minivan without sliding doors. That's how I see right. large SUVs. They're fancy minivans without sliding doors, which makes them the worst minivan. I love mm-hmm. minivans. I think minivans make make way more sense than SUVs. Um, no one's, I would, you know, it's, it seems like a lot of, it's a lot of money for something you're going to take off road once or twice, maybe. And, and there that? are people, you know, and there, there are, there are already vehicles that people buy specifically for off road. You know, they buy Jeeps, they buy Forerunners. you know, I was going to maybe a few people buy defenders for that. Uh, but for the money, they don't buy G wagons for it, which is a huge miscarriage of justice. They, don't, they only um, drive those in Beverly Hills. Exactly. In Miami Beach. <laughs> no one takes the, these amazing vehicles off road. So it's it, it is a, you know, adding uh, these there, there's you're, you're adding additional, you know, it's a lot of money for something you're never going to do which is a very American thing for us to do. It's, a, you know, we, we buy things. We buy things because on, we want, not because exactly, we need them. Exactly. We think we need, we think we're going to do a thing and then we don't. Uh, <laughs> which is why you want your socks delivered tomorrow. Which is exactly, which is why I want my socks delivered tomorrow instead of just getting into a car and driving to Target. Um, but, you know, again, it's your money. If you want to buy this, if you want to, if you're going to go off road, you know, thumbs up to you. If you're in a part of the country where you have to go off road or you have to deal with, you know, inclement weather um, and you want something a little extra, something, something in order to tackle that just more than just, you know, all wheel drive, which is completely capable on any vehicle of handling, you know, and you get some good, get some good tires, you get some all wheel drive. You can do anything and anything. Like, yep. There's, there are very few cars that are just going to like spin you into a ditch with all wheel drive and, and winter tires. Um, and you know, it's, it's you be you. How about that? Exactly. Uh, it's your it's, money. It's a, spend it how you want. It's your money. Spend it how you want. Uh, but maybe, I don't know, maybe just get a regular Ford Explorer and then get a, a Jeep yeah. or, or <laughs> get something like, if you're going to go off road, like go off road, like, you know, be ready to like the zombie apocalypse. You can just drive over zombies and whatnot. Yeah, or, you know, get a get a Ram TRX, which we were talking about earlier, Oh yeah, uh, you know, which, which will pretty much go anywhere. I mean, it's again, it's one of the most ridiculous vehicles you can possibly get. I mean, who the hell needs a 700 horsepower supercharged pickup truck? But it sure is fun. You can yeah, jump it over. You can jump it over creeks. Uh, yeah. zero, um, yeah. zero to 60 in three and a half seconds on a bumpy back road. Why, why do you need it? You don't. You don't need no, no one needs, needs that it. much power, but people are going to buy it. And yeah. then. One percent, two percent are going to spend some of their time off road. Um, Any, you know, and most of those are because of this is where I live and this is what I do uh, type situations. If you live in, you know, 
there are people who live in Colorado, there are people who live in, in Wyoming, you know, you need something that's off the road. If you live in you know, parts of Hawaii, you know, you need something off road. If you live in Alaska, you need something that's off road. If you live in the Bay area where I live and there are so many of these types of vehicles and there's so many big, large trucks, unless you're hauling something, I'm kind of judging you. I'm sorry. I grew up in a town yeah. where everyone who had a, had a truck was hauling something. We had to go, you know, we, we had horse trailers attached to these. We had like big bales of hay, uh, you, you move things around in them. Um, and then if you weren't doing that, then you're everyone just kind of like, why do you have that? Yeah. I mean, here, here in Michigan, you know, I live in Southeast Michigan, but if you head North on I 75, almost any weekend of the year, you know, you're likely to find people with, pickup trucks or big SUVs towing trailers with, depending on the time of year, either jet skis or snowmobiles or, you know, dirt bikes or something else. And so a lot of people around here do use them that way. A lot don't, but you know, a lot of people use them, especially for the towing capability. Oh yeah. But, um, you know, it's, you know, even, you know, even, even this thing, you know, the TRX is, is just total overkill. <laughs> And as we were talking about, you know, it's probably going to be the, uh, you know, this is this and the, the upcoming Raptor R, which we don't have any details on yet, but which may well have the, the supercharged V8 from the GT500 in it. Uh, that's the rumor anyway. Um, you know, these are likely the end of an era, you know, because these are going to start to get supplanted by electric pickups that have even more performance capability, starting with the Hummer EV this fall and the Cybertruck and, and other stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think the, that torque is going to be EV torque. It it change. It's such a game changer in so many ways because, and I I I I feel like a broken record. And I say this every time uh, somebody talks about EVs. If if you put someone in an EV and let them drive it, they're going to want an EV because most of the time they're just going from stop sign to stop sign, and they like that little like extra oomph that an yeah. EV gives them. So, you know because top end horsepower doesn't really matter if you just have this really nice bit of torque on the back end at the, you know, you just, Ooh, well, it's, 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 it's the old, you know, it's the old saying, you know, people buy horsepower, but they drive torque. Torque exactly. is what you feel. You know, it's, it's the thing that gives you the drivability off the line. And, you know, of course, you know, with an EV, you get the torque, but you miss out on that sound. You know, there's nothing quite like the sound of a, a big there, ass V8. There, that, that is, um, that is incredibly true. Um, I, I know I've had friends who are not even really uh, car people get into say the Mustang bullet mm -hmm. and then just have the, you know, turn up the, the, the exhaust and just drive that. And they're just tickled pink. They are so happy with that noise. And if you were outside the car and they heard that car going by, they'd be like, Oh my God, I can't believe <laughs> what is this? But when you're inside the car and you are in control of that noise and that, and, and it's, it is, it is something else. It's very, it's, it's a visceral primal experience. Um, and then when you have the EV, you don't, you kind of don't have that. You have, you can, you can, a couple cars have weird space noises, woo! Yeah. but, <laughs> but you know, when you drive around town, you kind of don't, you know, the burp, that gets old quick. Um, and then it's so smooth that the, the lack of vibration, the sort of just sort of off the line, it's, it is so, it is such a, a unique experience that people, again, just go to a dealership, find a friend with an EV and just drive it. And if you don't like it, then fine. You don't like it. You're, you, you know, maybe, but I, I guarantee you it's going to change your mind on EVs. If you're one of these people who are like, if it's either gas or nothing, I'm like, well, you know, it can be both. Yeah. Most, most American households have two cars. You can yeah. have both. And a plug. 
and a plug. Yeah, we're also supposed to have electricity. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Robbie. Thank we'll, you. We'll talk to you next time. A couple of news items this week is a relatively slow news week. Um, first thing, Ford launched uh, a new variant of the Explorer this week, and it's actually going to be the first of a new yet another subfamily for their SUVs, the Explorer Timberline. Um, and so they're going to be adding Timberline variants to a bunch of their other SUVs. Uh, you know, this is supposed to be a more, a little more rugged looking, a little more off-roady version of the Explorer. Um, you know, what do you think of this thing? Um, cool. I guess it's, I mean, I think it's neat. Isn't everyone kind of trying to do some sort of off-roady variant, either your luxury brand that's coming up with your Uber luxury thing, like mm-hmm. Denali and Avenir, or you're not a luxury brand and you're trying to come up with your rugged off-road capable line for your whole thing. So I guess it makes sense or isn't surprising maybe that they've done yeah. that. And it looks pretty good. I mean, I'm looking at the picture. It looks pretty slick. Um, and it does have some genuine additional capability in there it's not just an appearance package because some of them do that it's like we made this look off-roady but it's got a single not a single thing different from the non-off-road version you know right so this one you know it's got a different front fascia Mm -hmm. um with you know it's it's cut away more so you have a a shorter or a steeper uh, approach angle uh they they've got actual you know real skid plates on there Mm -hmm. not just pieces of plastic molded to look like skid plates but uh you know they're actually protecting the important bits underneath right um the uh uh, Bridgestone Dueler off all terrain tires, uh, new dampers. Um, you know, they've got some uh, lights integrated into the uh, into the grill uh, on either side of the blue oval logo. Um, I do like the, the dark green color that they're offering on this. Uh, is it just a dark green? I didn't get that part of it. Is it only in the dark green or is no, it? it'll be available in other will. colors? OK, because yeah, sometimes they I mean, do that, like only with this color, you know? Yeah. No. Uh, so. They've got press photos of uh, silver and uh, and the green, but the the green is the hero color for this, you know, because which makes you know, sense. Timberline. Timberline, yeah, right. Yeah. And so they'll be adding Timberline variants to other, you know, probably certainly I think to the uh, uh, the Bronco Sport, maybe the Edge. I don't know if they'll do it for the Escape or not, because um, they, you know, they they've taken the Escape and kind of diverged it from the Bronco Sport. You know, because they're both on the same same architecture, um, you know, and the Escape is more the the car like you know crossover variant, you know, mm-hmm. for for street use and urban driving. Um, but they're they're definitely going to do more Timberlines uh, going forward. Probably the Expedition will probably get a Timberline, um, and it is also a, a Torsen limited slip differential on the rear axle. Uh, a few other things. It the it does come with the the two point three liter. Turbo, uh, the four, the EcoBoost four cylinder. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, it should be an interesting option. I think it's probably good to be modestly more. I mean, it definitely has some capability. It'd be interesting to like just drive straight up Explorer and then drive this one back to back to see how much, like, can you feel that difference? Do you notice that difference? Do you feel the capability they baked into it or is it, you know, I, th- I think where you're likely to feel it most is just from having the the all-terrain tires. Yeah. Um, you know, just having more grip when you're off-road. Right. Because, you know, the the all-season tires that they put on normal ones. You know, the, the Explorer, you know, is 
actually reasonably capable. A couple of years ago when they launched it, I did the uh, the, the drive program out in uh, Portland mm-hmm. and, you know, we did some off-roading with it and, you know, it's, it's fairly capable even in standard form, like in an XLT form. And this, you know, is derived from the XLT, um, you know, just kind of stepping it up a little bit more. It's not quite up there, I would say, with something like uh, Jeep's Trailhawk models. You know, which, you know, that's 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 their off road rated versions. But they did even try. They did. I was just it's funny that you say that because the tow hooks. Oh, no, I lost the color. Oh, what yeah. do they call They Jeep yeah. has those red tow hooks on the yeah. um, Trailhawk, which is like a signature. The yeah, red they've, tow hooks. They've got, mean, they've got the red tow hooks on here. But as they're, well. they're called red ember tow hooks. Yeah, well, um, whatever. Red ember. That's, I don't know they, what they're called they, on they, Jeep. Does Jeep have a know, name for their red? I don't even know. I think they it's must. just red. Just red? That's not very exciting. Uh, no. Come on, Jeep. Come uh, up with yeah, a better name yeah, than just I've red. Always, I've always been shocked at how much effort they come into, how much effort they expend trying to come up with descriptors to add to the color names. You know, like red ember, you know, or midnight blue. Well, Mid- midnight blue is kind of boring, but, um, you know, some some of the names that they come up with for the the various colors just yes well this is this color forged green metallic forged green metallic what does that even mean i mean it sounds cool but forged green what you like took it to a forge and you made the green i don't get it (laughs) well i mean you know if you stuck a piece of steel on a forge it's not going to come out looking green like that it is not (laughs) i'm I'm not i'm not sure really what that is supposed to represent what does that mean yeah i don't know but uh, yeah, no, no pricing yet on this, uh, but it should be out this summer, I think. No, it looks good. Uh, I think it's probably good. Assuming gonna... they can get enough chips to build them. Oh my gosh. There's such a, sh- <laughs> you know what? I actually see the shortage on lots of vehicles from the yeah. chip shortage. You can see it. You drive by our local dealerships. It's like, there's no cars out there. Yep. Yeah. They're missing everywhere. Citroen, um, another part of uh, another one of the, the, what, 14 Stellantis brands. You know, this is one of the those classic <laughs> French brands. Um, they last year, they, they launched uh, a car called the Ami, uh, you know, which is French for friend. friend. You know, it's a it's a it's a little two seat pod. It's electric. The um, I think I think it's like eight horsepower or something like that. Uh, you know, it's designed, they designed it mainly, um, for their, um, their freedom move, um, pro mobility service, uh, that they offer, they, they launched it, uh, last year in Washington, DC and Portland, Oregon. Uh, they also have it in a bunch of European cities. And one of the things with the freedom move service is they, they have uh, car sharing in there, but they also, uh, integrate uh some of the some other services as well so you know if you need a ride hail or something like that you can use that to um to find um you know rides you know whether you want to drive yourself or have somebody else drive you um and i'm not sure exactly which services they're offering here in the u.s but they're they're now including the citroen ami and their car sharing fleet in uh the washington dc area Wait, it, what has do you a, think? it has a top speed of 28 miles per hour. Am I reading that right? Yeah. Can you even? It only has eight horsepower. I know, but at a range of 45 miles. Okay. So you really are just looking for the shortest little, like I need to drive six blocks and it's pouring rain or freezing cold and that's it. Cause you can't even get like on the. Or to go to the grocery store, you know, something like that. I guess. I mean, it's really cute. It's like the most adorable little car. It looks like something, you know what it reminds me of? The the cars the kids have that are always yellow with like the red roof that, you know, mm-hmm. little plastic cars. That little you just, tiny tykes cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like a tiny tykes car, but it's real. Yeah. 
I don't know though. At twenty with eight with eight horsepower and a top speed of twenty eight miles per hour, I think my seven year old may have been able to beat it though. Their feet move pretty um, fast. Al- almost, yeah. Maybe. Well, you know, I mean, think about it though. Like in a in a dense urban environment. You're almost never going 28 miles an hour. Anyway. This is true. But I'm just yeah. thinking like you couldn't. I mean, like you could still there's still before the pandemic, the average speed in Manhattan was eight miles an hour. OK, I mean, no, I get that. But I mean, you couldn't you couldn't even for one second get off of like, well, even in Manhattan, when you go, I don't know the names of the roads, but you kind of as you're exiting the city or coming into the city, there's sort of the sides that get kind of speedy fast. You wouldn't yeah. be able to hit the actual speed of traffic there. You would get run yeah, over I mean, you wouldn't by be able to drive it somewhere taxi. like the West Side Highway or yes, something that's like what that. I'm thinking of like that. You would be run over in a yes. second and a hot oh, minute. Absolutely. You would be run over. You'd be roadkill. So you really just have to intend to drive. And, and certainly a lot of New York city. city cabbies would would run right over. Oh, this yeah. Thing. Boom. You're dead. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They run. They run over you like the TRX over the Sonata. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be you'd just be gone. <laughs> so it, it'll be interesting to see how popular these these are going to be. Um, I, they're doing I, it for a six month trial to start with. And as I'm like picking on it, I mean, I get it's it's a cute car. It is a nice little solution if you really just need a super short jaunt. And it's adorable. It really is a yeah. fun little car. Yeah, I'll be curious to see how much they charge. Uh, I know for I was scanning the down this story and I don't see anything talking about pricing. Yeah, um, I don't think that they've announced the pricing yet. Um, you know, and, and that's been one of the challenges. And I'm not sure, uh, like with Freedom Move, you know, how how they're doing it, whether it's, um, you know, a free floating car share or you have to return the car back to where you picked it up from. Um, yeah, cause this is, this has been one of the problems with car sharing, um, services and why they've kind of struggled to really gain enough traction in the U S market and even, in, even in other regions as well. Yeah. They started off, you know, like the zip car kind of model where the cars are parked in a specific location. You'd go, you'd reserve a car, you go pick it up and you drop it back off at the same location. You didn't have to put in gas or anything or charge it. You know, that was all taken care of. Uh, you didn't have to worry about insurance. It was basically a short-term car rental. And then they went to, um, some companies went to free-floating car share, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like what they do now with the scooters, where, you know, you can just drop it off. You know, you don't have to take it back to where you picked it up from. You just drop it off anywhere. Right. And the problem with that is it's actually really expensive to operate that because periodically you've got to have staff that go around, find the cars and relocate, <laughs> reposition them, bring them to all the places. Back. Yeah. Yeah. To bring them, bring them back to the places where people are actually trying to use them. Cause right. you know, if you drop one off somewhere where there's not much, not much usage, it, you know, it doesn't make any sense. So it'll be interesting to see if, if they can actually make a go of it. You know, most of the other, car share programs like GM shut down their Maven program last year. Um, BMW shut down their, uh, their reach, their uh, reach now or ride now or something uh, drive now. <laughs> something it. now, but it's no longer. Da- Daimler, so. Yeah. Daimler had their car to go. They've all been shut down because they, they couldn't make any money off of it. So but you wonder where this is because this is such a cheap little car. You know, yeah. it's not like, it's not a huge, it's not the same investment in, capital is those, you know, yeah, my, with these tiny little cars. My, my guess is it will probably be, uh, you know, return it to where you picked it up from so you can plug it back in. Right. Uh, yeah. Otherwise you just leave it there. You spaces. sit it there and you've run it down and now your car is dead, yeah. in a, dead in a parking lot. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. All right. 
Um, enough of the Citroen friend. Yes, the Ami. So we had uh, one listener email this week uh, from Brian McMillan. Say, good morning, afternoon or evening. First off, I just want to say how much I love the show and appreciate what you all do. While the news of Rebecca and Dan's departure is certainly saddening for the listeners, it does seem that Nicole and Roberto have picked up right where they left off. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. As as a recent ICE to BEV converter, so that's uh, internal combustion to battery electric, um, <laughs> converter pun intended. I wanted to share my thoughts experience in regards to your discussion on episode 191 when answering a listener's question about buying an ICE versus an EV. My wife and I have always been road warriors when it comes to travel as she's not particularly fond of flying. So in 2014, we purchased a brand new Dodge Caravan and proceeded to put close to a hundred thousand miles on it in five or six years. <clears throat> While we still own this vehicle, it is rarely used anymore as both kids are out of the house and our daily driver is a Tesla. My Tesla is a 2020 Model 3 long-range all-wheel drive and has become our new road trip mule. Between work and pleasure travel, I've put more than 6,000 miles on her in about six months. That's right That's right around the average. Most, the average is about 12,000 miles a year. For yeah, so he's right people. in there. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, with our longest road trip traversing over 1,500 miles round trip. Our experience has been that road tripping in an EV, specifically a Tesla, is actually better for our needs driving Sal. We've always been the type of family that enjoys the journey and when traveling, stopping is needed for bathroom and snack breaks, not eating meals in the car, and typically never driving straight through to our destination. So with our Tesla, that combination of autopilot and charging stops makes the trips much more enjoyable and relaxing while not adding extensive trip time versus ICE travel. Um, <clears throat> while there is no doubt that road tripping with an EV will add time to your trip, there are ways to maximize it, like staying at hotels with destination charging along the route. Uh, from our experience, these destination chargers are abundant, free, and fairly easy to find with a search on Google Maps. Then for supercharging along the route, stations are easily accessible, strategically placed, such that range anxiety is not an issue at all. While Tesla does get a bad rap for various reasons, and deservedly so in some cases, I can absolutely recommend a Tesla today to anyone that likes uh, to road trip for the reasons mentioned above. And I, I have to agree, you know, I mean, for for the thing, you know, all the things I've complained about with Tesla, you mm-hmm. know, the, the thing, probably the, the thing that they've done the most right is the build out of the supercharger network, you know, because it, it made it, it convinced people that you can go anywhere with an EV, you know, and they've got currently uh, about a thousand locations across the, across the U S uh, with about 10,000 chargers. So there's an average of about 10, 10 chargers per location. Um, you know, summer, summer six, summer 12 or 18. And, you know, some of the really popular spots, but it, yeah, I mean, th- that that is absolutely a, a really smart thing that Tesla did. And, you know, Electrify America and, and other companies are trying to replicate that now with their networks. But um, there's, you know, they're not there yet. You know, the, the Tesla or Electrify America has about 600 locations now. Um, and But I think one of the things that Tesla uh, has also done well is they've generally done a pretty good job with reliability of their superchargers. And that's something where a lot of the other charger networks have had challenges is with reliability. That's uh, and that's what I see here, because I agree with everything that he said there, especially with Tesla. But I mean, I see in my area the number of times that 
the charging stations that are not Tesla's just aren't working. You go up and there's, there's, there's just, you can't even get them to work or you seem to have done everything right. You plug it in. Something's not the the cable. Something is the cable is not right. Something's been, you know, there's, there are very frequently issues with the actual physical chargers that are around us. We don't have as many in New Hampshire. It's a function of just where I live. Um, But the, uh, Tesla, there's a bunch of superchargers at a rest area on a major sort of thoroughfare heading up to the White Mountains, which is anybody who's traveling north to come like vacation up here, you're going to go buy them. Um, so if you've been traveling from New York or Massachusetts or wherever, there's a good stop for you. You can stop, you can get some, you know, get something to eat, take a bathroom break and charge your vehicle. And I frequently see Teslas there, like sometimes on like busy, busy weekends, there's maybe only one or two open spots, but that means there's quite a few people that are charging and having no problem doing it. So I I definitely think like what you're describing there, um, Brian, I totally get it. And I think if you're the kind of person who travels that way in a road trip, and I like to travel that way, I don't generally just get in the car, drive as fast as I can on the busiest highway, get there and be done with it. I also like to stop and check stuff out too. And I think if that's your style of road tripping, they're much easier to live with Tesla or otherwise. But if you're on that, I think back to when I was in college and that road trip where, you know, you're just coming home from school or you're, you know, and you've, you've got to drive 14 hours of driving and you just want to knock that out as fast as you can. That's when, you know, that's when it becomes more of a challenge, Um, which is, you know, I don't know how many people do you think are doing a road trip because they're really trying to, to stop along the way or how many are really focused on the destination? I don't know what, I don't know, Sam, like how many, how does that play out? You know? Yeah. You know, I think, you know, there, there's, there's clearly a split there. I don't know what the split is. Um, you know, but I think a, a lot of people, this, this is as we start to continue to build out the charging infrastructure across the country, this is one of the things that needs to be thought about is, you know, where you locate these, uh, these chargers, you know, you, you want to, you know, the reality is that even with DC fast charging, you know, you're still, you're going to be sitting around somewhere for probably, you know, a half hour or so at a minimum. If you're on, if you're, you know, if you, if you're going from near empty and you want to fill it up to get, you know, maximize your range, you're probably going to be sitting around for anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes uh, at the, at the least. And so you need to have those chargers located somewhere where you've got, you know, some sort of amenities, you know, certainly bathroom, but, you know, something to eat or, you know, other things that you can walk to, to see. And, you know, this is, this is another one of the the challenges, you know, is not just putting it, you know, putting the, the charger, you know, at just random rest areas, but ideally putting them somewhere where people have some options of other things to do for a half hour or an hour uh, while they're waiting for the vehicle to charge. Um, and, you know, but I think I still think that, you know, the biggest challenge is the reliability. John Volker, um, you know, recently wrote something about this. He was testing the VW ID4 and, uh, you know, he went to a couple of different Electrify America stations. And and Grant, EA did have um, a problem with a bunch of their charging stations, particularly on the East Coast, um, with one of the vendors that was supplying the, the chargers themselves um, and they have 
since ended their relationship with that particular supplier and converted over to to another supplier. Uh, but you know, this is this is not an issue exclusive to EA, ChargePoint, Blink, EVGo. All I've had issues with with all of them at some t- at some point in time or another, where you plug it in, nothing much happens. Yeah. Um, you know, GM just announced uh, last week uh, or week before, yeah, maybe it was last week the Altium 360 charging network. Um, you know, so within their um, within their app for their vehicles. Um, they're integrating, I think, to start with six different charging networks, you know, so ChargePoint, EVGo, um, Blink, uh, Green Lots, and a couple of others. And they're going to have 60,000 chargers wow. that are accessible through there um, that, you know, you'll be able to see them on the map, you know, in the vehicle, you know, you can plot your route uh, easily. And and this is something that automakers also need to do is make that better integrated so you know, when you put in your destination, if your destination is 500 miles away and you've got 250, 300 miles of charge, you know, have it automatically show, okay, here are the places where there's chargers available that you can go and use. And, you know, ideally, you know, have, you know, have a filter on there where you can put other things that you want, you know, so if there's a charger, you know, if you, if you want to, you know, have, have a lunch break or, you know, go to a museum or something, you know, find those other things nearby as well. I had a Bolt EV at one point and was looking for a charger. I went, we went down to the Cape down that way. And so we were coming back. It's not a super long drive, but you know, and was looking for someplace where I could charge it and thought we found a place and we get there. And it's literally the strangest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like we're in this sort of old abandoned like mill buildings in the city in Massachusetts. There's one office here. And then in this parking lot where there is nothing except like, like it looks like no one's parked in this parking lot in 30 years. It's like half overgrown. There's one EV charger and we're sort of driving up and I'm kind of like, huh? So do I just leave this car here and then (laughs) wander about and see if there's some place where we like, it was weird. I'm like that. I'm sure there was some method to the madness when that was put in, but if it's sending you to a charging station like that, and it wasn't like the bolt sent us there. It was just like, that's what we found when we searched. It's like, this is not helpful because I'm not yeah. just parking here and wandering about this area. I feel like I could, they will never see me again. They will find the car and nothing else, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, I think about three years ago um, at the, uh, there, there's this event, this event every summer uh, in Traverse city in Northern Michigan called the management briefing seminars put on by the center for automotive research. And my friend, Bob Gritzinger, who writes for rewards, um, he, had a bolt press car that he was going to drive up to, uh, to Traverse city. And it's about 250 miles from Metro Detroit area up to Traverse city, uh, which is generally, you know, within the range of what the bolt can do. And, you know, he had planned to stop along the way, you know, to, to top it off, you know, just to make sure that he got there safely. Uh, and he stopped at, uh, you know, two of the, two of the charging locations that were identified in the nav system were at, uh, offices of Consumers Power, which is one of the, the two main utilities here in Michigan. And he stopped at the first one. The charger was there, but it was not working. Ugh. Went to the second one. Same thing. Charger was not working. He, they, you know, at one, at eventually you, you get off I-75 and you take uh, some secondary roads to get to Traverse City. He found a spot um, 
where he and his wife could grab some lunch and plug it in for an hour or two, you know, to, to get some more miles or get some more miles in the battery and managed to get it to, to Traverse city. And then when he got to the hotel where the event was the, the grand Traverse Bay resort, uh, up there, they had, um, five chargers there. Two of them were Tesla only chargers. The other three were, were, uh, CCS chargers. The three CCS chargers, none of them were working. <laughs> the The two Tesla chargers were occupied, but, you know, you couldn't use those anyway. Right, but they right. were working, but none, none of the CCS chargers were working. And, you know, they were being operated by some small network charging, you know, charging network provider you know, located, I think, in Washington State. And Bob tried to get on the phone with them to see if they could reset it, see if they could do something. They, they couldn't, they couldn't get them working. Finally, ended up, uh, he... You know, around the, the grounds, you know, around the hotel, you know, in the wintertime, they have all these Christmas lights. So they have plugs that they have set up all over, all around the Did he unplug Christmas lights to plug in his car? Well, the, the Christmas <laughs> lights weren't plugged in there, but he saw the little post with the, you know, with the outlet on there, just a standard 110 volt outlet. And since we were going to be there for four days anyway, you know, he just plugged it into a standard one, you know, took the co the cord and plugged it in <laughs> and used that. And by the time it was time to go home, uh, it was charged back up again. But, you know, I mean, this is the kind of ridiculous thing that both automakers and the charging network providers, you know, if they want to get people to adopt EVs, you know, they have to do what Tesla has done yeah. and really make that process seamless. It's, I, th I think that's the biggest thing that when, you know, it's, it's not so much, I mean, I know we would say range anxiety. It's not that you, it's not almost that you're going to run out of range before you get where you're going, but when you get where you're going, will what's supposed to be there actually be there? And will it yeah. actually work? Which is, it's, it's a different thing. It's not like I'm going to run out before I get there. It's like, no, I planned everything just perfectly. I will get here. I'll be able to charge. What do you mean? All four of your charging stations are not working. Now what do I do, where's the nearest one? Well, you got to go a town over because you're on vacation and you're someplace rural. It's like, well, now what do I do? You know, it's that, that inconsistency with being able to charge when you get there. That's a huge obstacle for a lot of people. It is. And so that's, that's something that the industry really needs to address. You know, if they, if they want to, you know, if GM want hopes to sell a million EVs by 2025, um, they're going to have to fix this and yeah. same goes for Ford and everybody else. You know, these things need to be as reliable as a gas pump. I mean, it's, it's pretty rare that you go to a gas station and there's no working pumps, right? Like there's one pump that's not working out of the 15 that are there or yeah. something, you know, there's, and if not, even if that one pump, even if you have a gas station, for some reason, a gas station is having an issue. There's a pretty darn good chance you can drive five miles down the road or across the street. And there's yeah. another gas station. Like, it's just, you're like, okay, well, that's kind of a pain in the butt. I wanted to go to this one. I'll go across the street or right down the street. Would that is not always an option with EVs? It's just not, maybe it will be at some point, but until it's that easy to get past the, it's not working when I get here, there has, that's, that's going to be an obstacle for a lot of people. It certainly is. All right. Got anything else for this week? No, I think we're good. All right. Well, that has been episode 195 of Wheel Bearings. Hopefully we'll have Robbie back next week. What uh, happened sure to him? Where'd he go? Did he I sleep in? Maybe there was an earthquake. I mean, was there an know, earthquake, he, California? Because that would be sad if we're picking there, on him. Uh, and there, there was, was, there was one earlier this week. There, yeah. I think there was a, a decent sized one. But uh, but I mean, that's, you know, 
pretty much a daily occurrence. I know. It's like, when isn't there an earthquake <laughs> in California? <laughs> when, you, when you live in when you live in the Bay Area, you know, having the ground moving under your feet is is not an unusual that's thing. The norm. So hopefully that's not the case today. Okay. Uh, but uh, we'll 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 catch up with Robbie next week. Okay. All right. Thanks everybody. Bye everyone.